Hey guys, uh, welcome again to RUF. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm the campus minister. If I haven't met you, I would love to do that. Uh, as Nathaniel always says at the beginning, and we just want to reiterate over and over and over again, um, the thing that everyone in this room needs, whether you have been a Christian your whole life or just became one or you're not sure where you are, um, the thing that everyone in this room needs is the grace of God in Jesus. And so that is why we're all here. We want uh, this to be a community, not just in this room on Wednesday nights, but throughout the week, um, of people that are investigating that grace together. So uh, regardless of who you are, I don't care who you are, where you're from, what you did, you all need Jesus. Okay, all right. Um, uh, so uh, it's really good to see you. A special warm welcome to you if you are a visitor, if this is your first time. Uh, we'd love to get to know you. So say hey to me, say hey to someone that looks like they know what they're doing. Uh, this semester, I, is everyone just kind of feeling like the, the tiredness, right? It's like that point. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that. My daughter broke her leg uh, on Friday. She's a baby. She's a baby and her leg is broken. So I'm feeling you. I'm feeling it. Um, tonight, we're going to continue on in our series in Ephesians. And we've called this series uh, Boring and Beautiful. Uh, how the gospel makes the mundane meaningful. And what we've been doing so far up to this point is uh, Ephesians kind of breaks down into two halves. And the first half of the book is all about what God has done, what God's doing, this, this huge plan that God is bringing into um, existence, that he is going to unite all things in Jesus. He's bringing this great redemption. He's raising up people from the dead. He's reconciling us to God, reconciling us to other people. And it's all about what God's done and what God's doing the only thing that Paul has told us to do this far is to remember. Remember who you were. Remember who you are. But now, as we start uh, chapter 4, there's a hinge. And it all becomes about how we're supposed to respond, like what we're supposed to do. So like the first half of the book really is like sort of doctrine, theology. And the second half is really application, what we're supposed to do. So if you're a person that likes to be told what to do, then, uh, then here we go. Um, but the order is important. And I've said this before, um, but I want to say it again. In the Christian gospel, the order is really important. It's all about what God has done, what God is doing, before we find out what we're supposed to do. Uh, it's always God's action and then our reaction to what he's done. What God has done always comes first. And we're not used to that. You know, the gospel comes and says, this is everything you have. This is everything that God's done. This is who you are. Now do this thing. We're used to, you know, if you work hard, you get the grade. If you get the grade, then you get into a fine academic institution like Appalachian State. And, um, you know, hip, hip, thank you. And uh, if you do the work, then you get where you want. If you do what I want you to do for me, then I will love you, right? Um, if you work hard, if you pay the price, then you get the title, right? It's always what we're doing, then what we get, what we receive. But the gospel is precisely the other way around. It's all about what God has done for us. And that's weird for us. We're used to having transactional relationships. You know, I pay the price and I get um, what uh, I want. Uh, and we think, you know, God, if you tell them what they have already, then they won't want to go get it, right? If you tell them that they're holy already, then they won't want to be holy, right? If you tell them that you've done it all, then they won't want to go do it. But that's not how God thinks, and that's not how Paul 
um, displays God's character to us. God always tells us, this is who I am, this is what I've done now. Go and do something. Um, so that's what we're going to be doing tonight. We're going to be flipping over to that what do we do thing. And uh, Paul is showing us the road is clear and then showing us how to walk on it. So uh, let's look at Ephesians. Mm. That's sultry. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Uh, listen, this is the word of God. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It's the word of the Lord. Let's ask his blessing. Uh, Father, uh, we thank you for your word. Uh, It's been read. It's enough. Uh, Lord, but would you bless the teaching of it? And Lord, would you come to be with us? Lord, we're tired. Uh, We've been studying Uh, ready, looking forward to spring break. Um, Lord, would you uh, quicken our minds, uh, Lord, engage our hearts, give us eyes to see and ears to hear wonderful things from your word. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we we make the switch here from what God has done to how we're supposed to respond, it's going to be a lot of church talk, okay? Part of the reason why we called this series Boring and Beautiful is because church is you know, frankly, is boring most of the time. Life in the church is kind of a boring deal. And um, as we kind of focus on, okay, now go do this in the church, uh, I get a lot of questions when we start talking about the church, and it usually sounds like, well, what Paul means, right, is like the universal church, right? Like the big C church, you know? There's like the local church, the little C church, and then there's the big C church, which is like all Christians, across the globe, across time, right? And what Paul's talking about is that, right? Like, this kind of like hopeful question, right? Because that means like I don't necessarily have to like do this in my local church, but instead I can just be part of this big worldwide phenomenon, right? 
And uh, that's a good question. And before we kind of dive in, I, I just want to deal with that question a little bit. Um, it is true that, there, that Paul uses the word the church in two senses. In the one sense, the worldwide universal church. Every Christian that's ever lived and ever will live all across the globe, right? And he is talking about that. But you can't escape the fact that Paul is thinking very locally about the church. Y'all, if you just kind of want to think that this is all about the universal sort of ambiguous church, a lot of the stuff that Paul's going to say isn't going to make any sense. Because honestly, it's kind of hard to um, walk with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, you know, like with every Christian that ever lived. Okay? Like, that's, that's a hard thing to do. Okay? Frankly, probably a little bit impossible. The things that Paul is going to tell us to do are local um, in nature. And I just want to put this to you. The way that God intends for you, if you're a believer, to participate in this huge thing that he's doing is by committing yourself to the local church. I understand that that sounds scary or awful. And you're like, I may not come back. That's okay. Um, please do. Uh, please. I need, you. I need that. I need this. Um, <laughs> but what Paul is really asking us to do is like that really cheesy bumper sticker. Think globally. Act locally, right? Think about this wonderful thing that's God's, that God's doing and then plug yourself into it locally. Okay, so I just wanted to clear that up before we got started. What God is calling us to do in this passage is to do two things. To seek unity and to seek maturity. He wants us to be unified and he wants us to grow up. Okay? I'm just put, putting all this stuff out there tonight. You're like, grow up, go to the church, save money, get married. Um, okay, we must be unified. God's, God wants us to be unified. We need to seek unity. Look what Paul says there. Um, in verse 3, he's saying, you know, I want you to walk this way, have humility, gentleness. And he says, be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. It's interesting, Paul doesn't say, go out there and make unity. He doesn't say, there's all these sort of strands, go out there and bring them all into one. Paul says, maintain unity. Because the reality is, the normal sort of default position for Christians is to be unified. You already are one. So here's that thing where he's like saying, you're already this thing. Now go do it, right? Uh, as Christians, we are united by nature. Um, Paul's saying, be one because you are one. Because what God's doing is he's remaking us after himself, right? He wants us to look like him. Everyone's like, you know, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be Christ-like. Um, and God himself is one. There is but one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. God is one, and as he makes us into his image, he takes us from being these isolated individuals and brings us into one body. The image is going to keep being the body, the body, the body. And this is what Jesus prayed in John 17. These are beautiful words. If you just imagine Jesus, he's about to go to the cross, and you're like, this is his last time really praying to the Father. And this is what he asked the Father. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, 
that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I've given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. The last thing that Jesus prays, his His big uh, priority as he's going to the cross is, Father, would you please make them one in the same way that we're one? He wants us to have the same relationship with God and with each other that he has. God has united all things together in Christ. It's who we are, so we should act like it. Uh, I remember when I was a student, uh, a good friend of mine who grew up a Christian, uh, one of my best friends, he had he started just kind of like being kind of foolish, you know. He was like the guy that always did everything right, and so he wanted to have a time of like maybe I don't do everything right, you know. Maybe I do party, you know. Um, maybe I do drink a lot underage or whatever. And so he kind of started partying a lot and being kind of silly. And um, our campus minister was kind of known for leaving really abrupt voicemails. Um, so he he shared me with me this voicemail that our campus minister called him. And he said, hey, man, I've been hearing some stuff, and I don't know if it's for real or not, but I'm just checking in with you. But, hey, if the stuff that I hear is true, I just want to tell you, you're married to Jesus. You need to start acting like it or give the ring back. And he just hung up. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I wish that I had the guts to do that to you guys, Um, but I don't. but basically what he was saying to him is like, look, you are married to Jesus. That's who you are. So act like it, right? It's never act like it and then Jesus will marry you. You're married to Jesus, so act like it. And what God's saying here now is you are one. You're united. That is your default position as Christians. So now start acting like it. Start living in that reality that you are one. Um, Y'all, I need to be reminded all the time that God and the Bible do not see me primarily as a sinner. Have you ever thought about that? As far as I know, there's only one time that the Apostle Paul ever calls a Christian a sinner. And it's when he says, I'm the chief of sinners. The rest of the time, God calls Christians saints. Paul calls Christians saints. You are a saint. I need to be reminded of that. But I also need to be reminded... That I am not an, a, a lonely, isolated individual. And neither are you if you belong to Jesus. You belong to a body. You are united in the church. That's who you are. Uh, that's your primary relation, not as an individual, but as a member of a unity. And so to simply put it, you can't be united to God and not united to one another if you're a Christian. It's not possible. Um, that's not who you are. And the more that you live like you are an isolated individual, the more you actually functionally live a lie. It's not who you are. Just in the same way as if I went out and lived as if I was not married. I would be lying. That's how we would act if we um, are isolated uh, Les Newsom, who is an RUF guy and who I stole a lot of this material from, um, which doesn't count as stealing as long as you say that you did it. Um, he said like this, the Bible assumes that if you call yourself a Christian, 
that you are about the business of trying to figure out how to get along with other people, namely other Christians. That that's kind of the main part of your life. Um, and you're like, I don't know how, how that sounds to you. I know that most of the things that we talk about when we sit down is like a failure to relate, and you're trying to figure out how to get along with one another, and it's hard. I mean, I get that. It's hard to relate with other people because other people do things that you don't want them to do, right? And that makes life hard for you um, because let's be for real about who we are. We're all fundamentally self-absorbed and self-focused people. It's okay. Like, I stand before you as among the chief of the self-absorbed and self-focused. Um, you know, you could be like some really arrogant person and just think, like, I don't even need people. Like, I'm awesome. I don't even need you, man. I can do this thing on my own. Or you could think, I am terrible, and no one should ever love me. But it's still inherently self-focused, right? It's still a way to disengage with other people. You might be somewhere else along the spectrum, but we're self-absorbed, self-focused people. Okay? If we're honest with our nature, that's just who we are. We want it our way. But if you belong to Jesus, that's not who you are. That's not who you are. Um, so we've got to be one. God wants us to be one. Maintain this unity. But that doesn't mean that we're all the same. Okay? In verse 7, uh, Paul says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. There's difference. We have different gifts. Okay? We're like this diverse body of people that are being brought together. It's like a body. Clearly, hands and eyes are different things, right? They function differently. They look differently. Um, it's like the Power Rangers. It's like the Power Rangers, you know? There's a pink one. There's a black one. There's a blue one. A red one. And a yellow one. Okay? And a green one. How many Power Rangers are there? There's a lot. And they fight, they fight whatever weird Japanese crime that they fight, you know? Um, but, and they do a good job, but when they really need to, to fight, right, what do they do? They come together. What's it called? Sorry, one person. Mega. Megazord. Thank you. Thank you, Greg. Megazord. They come together, right, but it's these different parts working all together. I mean, is the Power Rangers illustration just that bad? Um... <laughs> It's like 300, right? Or 300. Okay? It's a bunch of different guys fighting. But what makes them so good is that they fight as one, right? They're 300 people fight, And they're super jacked and ripped, right? Um, and they look great. Um, but that's what we are. We're a, we're a, a unified people with a lot of diversity. Um, a body that's all toes is creepy and weird. Um... <laughs> But, in addition to being creepy and weird, it's unable to do the things that a body is supposed to do, right? We need to have differences, and God is able to embrace that. Because God is both a unity and a diversity. God exists in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So just deal with this reality. Um, but he's also one God. He's a unity and a diversity. As he calls us to be like him, we take on that character of being a diverse people brought together and using our gifts in harmony 
with one another. Uh, my wife, uh, she has Crohn's disease, and uh, that is like a, a GI thing. It's like, a, like an intestinal disease. And the way that it works, it, she's okay, by the way. Um, we're really more focused on the broken leg of the kid right now. Um, but what happens is it's an autoimmune thing. So your body thinks, your immune system thinks, there's something wrong with the intestine. I need to fight the intestine and kill what's wrong in there. But there's nothing wrong. So basically what happens is it just fights and attacks that intestine, and it gets all disjointed. It would be like if you scratched your arm just all day, every day, and then you kind of ran your hand on that raw skin, you know? It gets inflamed. Um, and when food passes through, it's incredibly painful. Uh, one time my wife went without eating solid food for six months um, because she's amazing. Uh, and she got fed through like a, 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 a tube. Um, but a, an amazing thing happened. When she got pregnant with our first daughter, suddenly she didn't have any more issues with her Crohn's disease. Because the body suddenly was more aware and focused on this new life that was inside of her. And it got distracted away from fighting something that didn't need to be fought. As we come together in one body, as we focus on Christ our head together, we work together in harmony and the body actually functions correctly. And all that infighting and all that garbage, is it, I mean, are we just bored Right? Like, suddenly Jesus and, like, telling people about Jesus and, like, bringing people along and growing them up in, in the faith is just not exciting for us anymore. We just got to fight and attack. As we're focused on Christ, the body works together. So God wants us to seek unity, but God also wants us to seek maturity. God wants us to grow up. Um, it says it in the Bible, okay? So it must be true. Um, Paul mentions some gifts here, um, starting in verse 8. He's talking about Jesus, he, he ascended to heaven and he gave gifts to men. So imagine that, you know, Jesus is like the king, he's in the parade, he's up on the float, right? And he's, t- he's tossing out gifts to all of us there that, that, that are um, sort of along the road. I don't know if it's candy. Um, but one of the gifts that he, is, that he is bestowing on his church, that he's reigning on the church, it says here in... Uh, Verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. He's given these particular offices in the church as a gift. If you read uh, 1 Corinthians 12 or Romans 12, there's other gifts that he talks about us having. But here he focuses on these. He's given the church apostles and prophets. Okay, So guys like Matthew, John, James, Paul, uh, and these prophets that, that the church has founded on. When we think about the apostles and prophets, we're talking about this, their word, their teaching um, that he's given to found the church on. He talks about evangelists, right? People that go out. The name of an evangelist actually means that you're going out to give the good news. Um, They go out, they share the gospel, they bring people to faith. But that last one there, he says, shepherds and teachers. And really in the Greek, that's probably one word, shepherd, teachers, uh, it's kind of another word for pastors, that God has given pastors, ministers in the church as a gift. Um, and it bears asking again, if you're just committing to the universal big C church and not the local little C church, how are you interacting with the ministers that God has given to the church to equip you, 
to raise you up, to mature you? Um, how are you doing that? Um, so I think a question worth asking. But look at, at why he says that he gives us these ministers. Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Uh, ministers exist not to do ministry in your church. Although they do that. Ministers exist to help you do ministry in your church. You're a minister. You have a job to do. Just uh, don't hear that as, oh, another thing to do. Hear that as God says, I have something very special that I want you to do for my kingdom. And I'm going to give you these ministers, and they're going to help to equip you to do that. So that you can minister, so that you can grow up. Um, I love RUF. Uh, I'm the big RUF apologist. Okay, I got saved in RUF as a student, so it's near and dear um, to my heart. Uh, and but part of what I love about RUF is our statement. So it's like someone says, why is RUF on campus? And there's two things. Well, we're here to reach students for Christ. Okay, like we want to display the gospel, present it, and hope that God works in people's hearts and draws people to Jesus. Okay, that's part of what we're doing here. And if you're here and you're not a believer, hear that. Um, that the good news is here for you to respond to, that Jesus calls you to respond to him by faith and he will save you. But the other side of what we do is to equip students to serve. And a lot of y'all have come from church backgrounds, okay? A lot of y'all are more mature Christians than me, it feels like sometimes, when we sit down, um, which probably isn't all that laughable, I guess. Um, But we're here, our UF is here to equip you to serve, to serve the campus and to serve the church. Um, that, that excites me. I want to help give you tools, and Jen and Will want to help give you tools so that you can minister on the campus, so that you can grow up and be a mature, functioning adult, so that when you leave here, like, I care about your issues, okay? I really do. Like, I care about what you're dealing with right now, but what I really care about is, are you serving the church in 20 years? That's where I'm looking. Someone says, how's RUF doing? I'm like, I don't know, we'll see, 15, 20 years. Um, I want you to be equipped for serving the church. So that's what Christ gives these ministers to do that. But what does it mean to grow up? What does it mean to be matured into Christ? Look what he says there. Um, Verse 13, So we attain to the unity of faith, mature manhood, so that we may no longer be children. Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine. The worst thing about being a kid is that you're just uber gullible. Um, like, I could make my daughter's life a living hell for her. Uh, and she would just never know uh, that I was, you know. She asked me probably once every couple of days, how did Zeke pull that quarter out of my ear? Like, can he do it again? You know, uh, it wasn't even all that good of a, of a trick. Um, <laughs> She gets really upset if I take her nose and then won't give it back. She's, like, freaking out. I'm never going to have a nose. I'm never going to smell something ever, ever, ever again. Um, Paul says that an immature believer is like that. You're not rooted. You don't have the experience. You're, You're not able to understand when someone is leading you astray and you're just bouncing around. Like, like you're in a choppy ocean. You're just bouncing around. You're going under, coming up. And everything that comes along, you're like, oh, that sounds good. And you just carry it off by it. Oh, something else? Oh, that sounds great. There's no rootedness. There's no foundation. You're at the whim of Christian fads. 
And let me tell you, like, in the world of bad fads, uh, Christian fads are, whew, the worst. Um, one of the jobs of the church is to root you so that you're not carried away, so that you're able to stand. Um, and the opposite of that um, immaturity, Paul says, he says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. What we do instead of being a child tossed to and fro is we speak the truth to each other in love. Um, just let that phrase just wash on you, okay? Um, some of us are truth people, okay? Uh, some of you are truth people. And you're like, you know what? They need to hear it, and I'm going to say it, and if they don't like it, I'm sorry. They're just going to have to deal with it. This is how it is. They need to change, okay? They're truth people, and it's very hard. Those of you that are truth people know who you are, but know, you know, things about me, and so you're like, well, screw you anyway. Um, <laughs> but there's also those of us that are love people. Like, we don't want, we don't want to cause a stir. So I almost want you to know that you're affirmed, you know, anything that you want to do. I'm here, I'll rub your back, um, everything is okay, and you have no real conviction, right? You're not able to go to someone and say, hey, I think this is hurting you. Um, John Stott says, truth becomes hard if it is not softened by love. Love becomes soft if it's not strengthened by truth. We're supposed to speak the truth in love to one another. Let me ask you, do you have that? Don't you want that? Don't you want someone to be able to come to you and say, I want to have a real discussion with you, and I want to talk about this stuff, and I want you to, to walk away knowing that I, I love you, and this is, because, this is because I love you, that loves you. I mean, what is, is it really love to just let someone continue to hurt themselves, to hurt others? No, of course not. Uh, don't we all desperately want that? Someone to come along. Look, I say this all the time, but... The two hardest people that you will ever get to know are God and yourself. Um, there's just a desperate desire to want to know who we are here, and it's just so hard. Because we're living in these bubbles, isolated from each other, and we desperately need someone to come in and say, I know you think you know you, but let me just lovingly tell you who you really are. Let me tell you how you're coming off to other people. Isn't that a grace? Don't we want that? Paul's saying that we're supposed to be that for each other in the church. I'm that for you. You're that for me. And we're doing that together mutually in the church. And that's vital for this reason. Hebrews chapter 3 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Listen to this. Just listen to this. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Y'all, you're sinning in ways that you don't even know what it is. If you're deceived, I've asked this before, if you're deceived, do you know it? No, because then you wouldn't be deceived, right? If you're deceived, you don't know it. And the worst thing about sin is it deceives you. And you need someone to come in and say, hey, look. This is a mirage, man. You have to stop. And those conversations are hard. They really are. Um, but as we have them in love, we grow. 
Uh, we desperately need each other. And I'm going to end on this. Look at the last thing, pretty much the last thing that Paul says there. Um, you know, we're going to grow up into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is when each part is working properly. What is your place in Christ's church? Part and parcel of you growing in grace and maturing as a believer, if you call yourself a Christian, is finding that place where you fit into the church. Um, I know that's underwhelming. Like, I know that this sermon isn't like the one that you're like, that one changed me, okay? I get that. Where is Christ calling you to serve in his church? Maybe the reason why you feel so stunted and frustrated is because you're not going to the place where Jesus said, I will grow you up. Y'all, it's in the church. And if that sounds even remotely interesting, could you stop just coming and standing in the back and waiting for someone to notice you? And instead go, I'm just going to kind of step out here and just get in a community group. And I'll take the initiative on this one. Or even better, could you please stop bouncing to every church, waiting for someone to invite you to lunch? And instead just go, I'm going to plant myself here. This looks like a pretty good church. I'm going to plant myself here, and I'm going to try and serve this church. And I'm going to let them bring me in, however, whatever weird way they do that here. And I'm just going to focus on them and serving them. I promise you, and this is gospel truth, if you do that, Jesus will meet you there. And he will grow you. Is that even slightly interesting? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your church. Uh, Lord, we thank you that it's often underwhelming. Um, because, Lord, we're underwhelming. And we need desperately a community of people to come alongside with, to serve. Lord, teach us. Uh, Lord Jesus, you didn't come to be served, but to serve. Lord, teach us how to bow the knee and to serve your church. And Lord, would you meet us there and give us grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.